How do you deal? How do you deal with unmet expectations? I confess that too often when the things that I'm expecting don't come to pass, it's a downer. I can become quite upset. I become quite discontented, frustrated. The passage that we're looking at this morning there in Matthew verses 14 through 21, seems to address in, in a fashion what we ought to do when our expectations are not met. Listen to what Matthew has to tell us as the Holy Spirit writes through him Therefore, Jesus would have us hear in those verses. Matthew 17, verses 14 through 21. And when they had come down to the multitude, a man came to him, to Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. The grass withers the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I read us that passage in Exodus to help us see the kind of connection that we find in the old administration of the covenant of grace into the new administration of the covenant of grace as God is dealing with his covenant people Israel there in the Old Testament and now how he's dealing not fundamentally with Israel, though Matthew indeed is writing to Jews, but in his writing to Jews, he wants to tell you and me, Gentiles, how he's dealing with us in much the same way he dealt with his people. Moses has gone up into the mountain. 
He's gone up into the mountain that he might receive from the Lord God that covenant, these ten words. I have brought you out of the land of Egypt to set you free, and now here's how you will live, and as you do this, you'll be lights to the world that will draw people to me. Moses has now been handed those two tablets written upon by the very hand of God, those ten words, and he's going to come down to the multitude. And before he goes down, what does the Lord say? I've had it with my people. In fact, I'm so upset with them that I'm about to take away that promise about the seed coming from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and I'm going to talk about the seed now coming from you, Moses. Oh, Lord, please, for your name's sake, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't give the Egyptians an opportunity to really blaspheme you, God. And the Lord relents. Jesus, Peter, Paul, and John have gone up into the mountain. They've enjoyed sweet fellowship together with Elijah and Moses. And now they come down. And they come down to the multitude. And when they come down to the multitude, they are <clears throat> confronted by a man. By a man who has a son who's moonstruck, the King James would translate it. The new King James would have him epileptic. We sing in the Psalms about being protected from the moon, from being a lunatic, if we're in Jesus Christ. His son, we would say, is epileptic. He has those kinds of seizures that apparently seem to have him want to self-destruct. He'll cast himself into fire. He'll cast himself into water. And the Father has heard that the apostles of Jesus Christ have the power to cast out demons, to heal the sick. They've done it. Jesus sent them out. They've come back and they've marveled and how the demons are subject to them. They've marveled at how they've been able to heal. And on this occasion, Matthew and the other eight, who are confronted by this man who's concerned about his son, when they ask the apostles, would you please not cast out or at least heal my son? And they were unable to do it. Now, children, don't let this story just go over your head. Children, as one commentator pointed out, 
The devil wants you. The devil will do everything in his power if you're a covenant child to deter you from making good your baptism. The devil does not want you to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil does not want you to make good your baptism. The devil does not want you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. He doesn't want that. And we see that in this passage. We see that how the devil has brought this calamity to this child. And so children, when you're being tempted, I'm sure not to jump into a fire or a lake. Although, you might despair so much that you would entertain the thought to take your own life. That's of the devil. That's of the devil. You don't listen to those sorts of temptations. You pay attention to what dad and mom have been talking to you about your need to know Jesus and own him as your Savior and your Lord. None of you, I pray, will be subject to being called lunatics because you're so moonstruck with the things of this world that you're not ready to turn to Jesus Christ and believe on him. There's a sense you see in which this father has come to the church, right? He's come to the Nine apostles. He knows these nine apostles have been able to cast out demons. He knows these nine apostles have been able to heal people who are sick. But he doesn't despair when the church is not able to meet his present need. The healing of his son. And I'm sure we're all familiar with people who will say to you or to me, I have no need of the church. They're a bunch of hypocrites and so forth and so on. But this father didn't go that route when he was disappointed. When the expectation that he had didn't happen. Instead of turning away from the church, he went to the head of the church. He went directly to Jesus. And we need to be reminded that when we're out in the world and we're seeking to take the gospel to people, it's the gospel that we're trying to take, not ourselves. It's not we want people to think well of us, we want people to think of Jesus. And this is exactly what happens here. This father is so concerned for his son that he's going to persist in going now to Jesus as Jesus comes down out of the mountain. 
and he worships him. He bows down and he worships. In a sense, he's denying himself and he's turning to the Savior who hasn't yet taken the cross. But he's turning to the Savior. Would you heal my son? And Jesus does it. Do you, do you hear what it says? Bring him to me. Bring him to me. Children, that's why you're here at worship. Your parents are bringing you to Jesus. Bring him to me. Oh, this generation. How long must I bear with this generation? There's a disappointment even in our Jesus who would have all come unto him unto salvation. He doesn't want any to be lost. No, it's not an unmet expectation for Jesus at this point, is it? Oh yes, he expects people to come to him, but here is a father who has persisted and has come. Parents, don't give up. Don't give up praying your children to Jesus. Don't give up. Persist. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and he was cured. Jesus reaches down by the power of the Holy Spirit into the hearts of the covenant children that are his and he takes that heart of stone out and he puts that heart of flesh in and children come to faith. Jesus does that work of salvation for our children. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Unmet expectation. We really expected to be able to do this. Now there's all kinds of speculations in the commentators about what happened and all that sort of thing, but they want to know. They really want to know. Why were we unable to do, to do this? And then Jesus answers. Because of your unbelief. 
because of the magnitude of your faith. Because you didn't believe. Now, he goes on to say, I say to you, if you have the faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Now, we all know that this is not something Jesus is saying we're able to do literally. That would be nice when you're driving down the turnpike instead of going through the tunnel, oh, just move, mountain. And it would move. No, God's given us the technology to go through the mountain. But it was a common phrase in Jesus' day. If you believe, nothing's impossible. Now we have to be careful, don't we? This is not a name it, claim it passage. This is not a passage that says, if you have enough faith, you will get what you want. That's not what this passage is about. A dear friend of mine, who was a member at First RP, for various reasons, decided that he would go worship elsewhere. He went and worshipped at another church and after about six years with that church, as a worker at Walmart, he hurt his back severely, and x-rays showed that there were significant problems with his back, and the church to which he was going said, well, let's come up front, and, and we'll pray for you, and, and your back will be healed. In God's providence, his back wasn't healed. And I met him one day in Walmart. He was shopping and I was shopping. He said, Pastor Bruce, I'm going to be coming back to First RP. Wow. I was told by the church where I was going, I just really didn't have faith. I didn't have faith because my back wasn't healed. If I had faith, my back would have been healed. And he said, you know what? That's another gospel. I need to get back where the truth of the word is proclaimed. But what is Jesus saying to us? What is Jesus saying? This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. I've done a lot of thinking about prayer and fasting, and we've been called on occasions to set a day apart to pray and fast. What have you done? What have you done on days when we pray and fast? 
For me, it's often I pray and then I just don't eat. I pray and then I just don't eat. I, I pray and I just don't eat. I mean, that's fasting and praying, isn't it? When we begin to pray for something specific, do we find ourselves so engaged in prayer, in sweet communion with God through Jesus Christ, who ever lives to make intercession for us? When we find ourselves burdened in prayer, so burdened in prayer that when mealtime comes, we're not even tempted to get up and go eat. We're in prayer. And we remain in prayer over this issue, this thing that seems utterly impossible. What do we do? Do we really pray and fast? Is Jesus our bread of life? Is Jesus the one with whom we fellowship? When there's something impossible that's in front of us. Because you see, Jesus is the one, isn't he, who can say to a mountain, go. You see, Jesus is the one who shed his blood so that you and I, when the devil comes to us, and gets a hold of us so that we might even be as Peter was and say, oh, Jesus, may you not go to the cross. And what does Jesus say? Oh, Peter, you need to stop talking. That. No, no. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're the rock on whom... I'm pleased to build the church. You're not Satan. But when you behave like Satan, Satan's got to be cast out. Now, Satan didn't possess Peter when he did that. But you see, what was happening was Peter was saying something that only the devil would have him say, not God. And when the devil comes and he begins to talk about these things of the flesh, these things of the eyes, these prides that we have, when he comes and he begins to address those things, 
what a Savior and Lord we have. Because he's the one. He's the one that we go to. And he's the one that we stay with in prayer and in fasting. And we see that mountain move. Because that's what Jesus does in our lives. He does the impossible. We who were dead in our trespasses and sin, He raises us. He raises us unto newness of life. He gifts us faith so we can believe on Him unto salvation. And he takes those filthy clothes off of us and he puts upon us those clothes of his righteousness and we stand before God upright in him and we're saints. And when the devil comes and the devil wants to make us lunatics, we pray and we fast. We rest in Jesus to move the mountain. Now we don't rest without fighting. We don't rest without wearing the armor that God gives us to wear. We don't rest without being sure we have that helmet on, that breastplate, that belt, that sword. But all of that armor we use bathed in prayer. That breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and then our feet of the gospel. Where do our feet take us? They take us to Jesus. When our feet are taking us away from Jesus, what do we do? We repent. And we turn around. And we walk back to Jesus. Oh, what a Savior. I'm with the Lord. Unmet expectations. The Father wasn't helped by the church, but Jesus helped. The apostles couldn't cast out the demon, but Jesus did. How long shall I be with you, O perverse and wicked generation? But Jesus stayed. He stayed until that appointed hour for which he lived his life. And he went to the cross. He laid down his life so that we might have life and have that life abundantly in him. And so we have an opportunity this morning to come and to partake of the supper that the Lord has ordained for his church, that he instituted for us, that, that we might proclaim his death until he comes again. And we do that
according to 1 Corinthians 11, by being sure that we are deserting the body aright. We must make sure that we understand what Jesus' body is all about in his life, burial, or death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and coronation, coming again. But Romans 15 tells us there's more than a discerning of the body of Christ, there's the discerning of the body of Christ. That we come together as a people of one mind and like precious faith. And so the Lord's Supper is something that God has instituted for the church to administer, and therefore the church has the responsibility of knowing who it is that is coming to the table. Why? Because the church, the elders, will give an account for the sheep that are in our fold. That we seek to help them not come if they ought not to come. And so if, obviously, you're a member of the Reformed Presbyterian Church in good standing, the table's open there. And if you're a member of a Nay Park Church, and if you are, you know what that means, you're welcome to come if you're in good standing there. And if you're not a member of a Nay Park Church or an RP congregation, you are uh, invited to meet with the elders and, and give your testimony. And talk about your baptism and about the church of which you are a member in good standing and then you would be welcomed by the elders to come so if any of you are here who have not been interviewed by an elder and would like to partake of the Lord's Supper we pray that you would talk with me or you've seen Brad here as an elder and David Merkel and Vince Squark please talk with us and we'll be happy to speak with you about the Lord's Supper Let's look to the Lord together in prayer.